Well, I want to welcome you to our Good Friday service. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. I have the joy of opening up God's word with you. We're going to be in one section of one verse. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Um, Every nation has laws, and every nation's laws are not created equally. Some nations have better laws than others, do they not? And some nations enforce their laws in a much more equitable and just way than other nations. I want to introduce you, if you've not seen this yet, this is called the Corruption Perceptions Index. Since 1995, an organization has been evaluating um, the vast majority of nations in the world, their level of corruption, reliability, equity, and fairness. Now, you will find here that they are evaluated uh, multiple metrics on a scale of 1 to 100. What you'll notice here is anything in the hue of blue is less corrupt. The higher the number, the less corruption. And so you'll see the darker the blue, the less corrupt. Anything in the hue of red would be considered very corrupt. And the darker the hue of red, the more corrupt it would be. And I want to make two basic observations from this map from 2017. Number one, how in God's green earth is Canada less corrupt than the United States of America, right? Um, That to me is a weird um, reality. Apparently it's true. But I want you to look at how much of the world lives in a country that would be considered highly or very corrupt where there is a lack of justice, equity, righteousness, and execution of good and right laws. What happens, by the way, when laws become unenforced? You have corruption, you have chaos, you have lawlessness. What happens when you can buy judges and politicians? You have more corruption, more chaos, and more lawlessness. And there's a sad reality that it appears the vast majority of the world lives in a culture, in a place that we would consider highly, highly corrupt. Uh, There is is one kingdom that this has no ability to measure, uh, because this kingdom is not here in full yet, and it's called the kingdom of God. And before I explain what the kingdom of God is, let me just give you an encouragement about the kingdom of God. Uh, When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, um, its metric from one to 100 will be 100. It will be the most just, equitable, fair, righteous government the world has ever seen, and it will be led and run by Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, king, God of the universe. Now, for some of you who don't know what the kingdom of God is, let me explain it. The kingdom of God, in its most simple form, is wherever God reigns. Right now, the kingdom of God is wherever there is a Christian, a follower of God, who believes in God and has the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is taking reign in your heart and in your life. Uh, This kingdom grows with every new person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But until Jesus comes back in his second coming to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the fullness of his kingdom, the kingdom is primarily going to be found in people and in churches. But one day, Jesus, the Bible says, will come back and he will judge the living and the dead and he will usher in his kingdom over the entire world. This is the kingdom of God. How many of you would like to be in the kingdom of God where it is pure righteousness and justice forever and ever, right? Give me that. That kingdom any day. These kingdoms are corrupt, and a few people run most of these countries, and they exploit the poor. This is common all throughout 
our world. Now, I want to share with you one of the most important laws in the kingdom of God. Uh, Because like every other kingdom or nation or empire, it is governed by laws. And to understand this law is to understand the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. To understand the laws of the kingdom of God, particularly the law I want to share with you now, is to actually begin to make sense of why Jesus had to die on a cross, why God had to become flesh, and why God had to bear on his body, soul, and emotions the full weight of the Father's wrath at our sin in our place. And so this law is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, and I want to read this for you. Here's the law. Without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I want to make a few just basic observations. Number one, um, in this law, there seems to be no distinction here between big sins and little sins. So, you know, like on our, our, our scales, there's like some of us grew up in cultures where if you sin really, really big, then you'll go to hell, or they're mortal sins, or small sins, etc. But what happens in the kingdom of God is that every single sin um, bears with it the, the effect that it separates us from God. The little sins and the big sins, we need forgiveness from them, and there's only one way that that forgiveness is going to happen. It's going to happen through the shedding of blood. Number two, sin breaks our relationship with God to the point where an I'm sorry alone can't make it right. Like some people will say, well, why can't we all just say I'm sorry and I'll be good, etc." In the kingdom of God, no unforgiven person will be allowed entrance. And the only single way that somebody can be forgiven of their sin is through the shedding of blood. That is it. This is a kingdom rule that you cannot change or negotiate. Now, number three, I want to help you understand this. For most young Americans, this law doesn't make sense whatsoever. The reason being because the vast majority of young people you talk to have no Judeo-Christian ethic or mindset. They didn't grow up in church or Sunday school. This is a very, very foreign concept to them. I want you to imagine with me that you grew up on the other side of the world in a small tribe, and you grew up in a tribe where it was applauded and moral to kill people and eat them called cannibalism. It was also applauded that you would kill your enemies who threatened you or spoke negatively of you. I want you to imagine that it was both legal, applauded, and honored. You would be a hero for doing these things where you came from. Well, I want you to imagine one day, miraculously, you had the ability to come to the United States of America and start a new life over here. What you didn't realize is how different the cultures were. What you didn't realize is how different the legal system was. And so you go about doing the things that you've always done, that you're honored and applauded for. In a very short period of time, you are arrested, you are tried, and you are put in jail for the rest of your life. Imagine how absolutely confused that person would be. One thing he was applauded for, he comes into a new jurisdiction, and now all of a sudden, he is condemned and put into jail for. And that is how foreign the Judeo-Christian concept or the laws of the kingdom of God are to so many people. But here's the challenge. Whether or not this person from a tribe across the world understood American laws, whether that person agreed with the laws, actually is irrelevant, isn't it? 
because they are going to be tried and judged on the laws from where they live. One day, the kingdom of God will reign over the entire world. And this law will be the standard by which all people are given entrance into the kingdom of God. In order to be allowed entrance into the kingdom of God, which is where you want to be, I promise you that, it requires forgiveness, which only and ever in the kingdom happens through the shedding of blood. How are we ever, ever going to escape our own sin? Uh, I have really good news for you. There's actually another law in the kingdom. And this law also begins to make sense of why Jesus had to die on the cross. And it's called the law of substitution. It's very simple, but in God's economy, in God's jurisdiction, in God's law book, uh, he permits a substitute sacrifice. It's interesting because there are restrictions on this substitute. And here, let me just read it for you and then we can get our heads around it. Because God is both just, he can't be bought out or corrupted, but he's also merciful and he has love for every single human being on the planet because he's both just and merciful. A willing, sinless substitute death will be permitted in behalf of another wanting sinner. A willing, sinless substitute death will be permitted in behalf of a wanting sinner. Enter the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was willing. Jesus was not a victim before the foundations of the earth. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit conspired together to put together a plan for the redemption of humanity. God is omniscient. He knows all things that will be, could be, might be, and God knew what humanity would do with our freedom, that we would corrupt it and corrupt one another. And so before God even created humanity, he put in motion a plan, a plan that would would take his son, Jesus Christ, he would willingly go to a cross, and God would allow the law of substitution to be applied in the instance of Jesus Christ. Jesus was also sinless. There was no flaw, no sin, no spot, no blemish. Fully God and fully man. Jesus was willing, he was sinless, and he is an acceptable substitute death. In the economy of God and the way God works for entrance into the kingdom of God, if you want to get in, you need forgiveness for the shedding of blood. Unfortunately, your blood isn't enough. You need a substitute, willing, perfect sacrifice, which is why God, before history even began, put the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ into motion. And so I understand for a lot of people who don't grow up in the Judeo-Christian world, who don't grow up hearing about the Bible and hearing about this stuff, it feels foreign to them. But from the very beginning, God has told us entrance into the kingdom, it works, it's a different culture, it's a different system, it's a different level of righteousness. And if God didn't provide the law of substitution, guess who would get into the kingdom? Nobody, right? Right? And so in the same way that he's just, he's also merciful. And he, he looks around and he's like, there's none of you who are an appropriate, willing, substitute sacrifice because no human being on the planet is sinless. In God's economy, in his judicial system, sinlessness is a requirement for being an acceptable substitute. And so even though these laws are abnormal to a lot of people, they are the standard by which all people who enter into the kingdom of God are going to be required to meet. So here's the question for us as we see the law of substitution. We see that Jesus is the appropriate substitute, but am I? Am I a sinner? Now, I don't know all of you in the room, but the ones I do know, I'm going to give you strong affirmation. You are a sinner. 
So am I. Am I wanting of Jesus' substitutionary death in my behalf? Do I believe that Jesus was the willing and sinless sacrifice for my sins in my place? Here's what 1 Peter 3, 18 says. Christ also suffered once for sins. He doesn't have to keep dying over and over again. One time was more than enough. That is how potent the blood of Christ is for humanity. The righteous for the unrighteous. This, this is substitution. The righteous dies for the unrighteous. Why? So that he might bring us to God. So that you and I could have entrance into God's kingdom. That's the whole point. No shed blood of Christ on the cross, no forgiveness of sins, no entrance. God wants us in the kingdom of God, so the forgiveness of sins is met through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but only to those who trust in him. And so this Good Friday, this day that we look back and we remember and we reflect on and we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, this was God shedding his blood for you so that forgiveness could be yours because nobody gets into the kingdom without forgiveness. Here's what one author wrote. I love the way he says this. He says, this is the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, substitution. This is the great message of good news that God has for rebel subjects who are willing to lay down their rebellion. Instead of collapsing in grief over our rejection, he bears our griefs. Instead of increasing our sorrows, which you would expect a corrupt ruler to do, he carries our sorrows. Instead of avenging our transgressions, he is pierced for them in our place. Instead of crushing us for our iniquities, he is crushed for them as our substitute. And all the chastisement and whipping that belong to us for our rebellion, he takes on himself in order that we might have peace and be healed. I want to give you just a few simple so what's on Good Friday. Number one, God will not forgive anyone unless it is through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. What's challenging about this statement, as some people hear that, is so narrow and exclusive that it, they believe it makes God look bad. Uh, I want to give you an alternate, maybe, perspective on this. If there were multiple ways, then God would allow multiple ways. But there just aren't. Because in the rules and the economy and the jurisdiction and the laws of the kingdom of God, what is required is a willing, sinless, substitute death. And in all of human history, there has never been but one, and his name is Jesus. If there were others, then maybe there would have been another way. The exclusivity of Christianity is not about being bigoted. It's exclusive because there are no other options. And so as we look at the panorama of history and we figure who, who, whose death in our place could act as a substitute, every single human being falls massively short except for Jesus Christ. 
He is the one and the only. It's not exclusive because it's bigoted. It's exclusive because there just are no other acceptable options. Number two, if you have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection, I've got really good news for you. Forgiveness is 100% yours. Again, here's what I know about a whole bunch of you in this room, myself included. We are capable of great stupidity. Can I get an amen? Amen. And somehow the Bible declares over everyone who has ever placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses, I, read, I, I probably quote this to Village Church 20 times a year. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is one of the most ridiculous thoughts on the planet. But somehow, despite all of the sin that we still find ourselves able to muster or walk into, uh, there is not one thing, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, that can compromise the most stable thing in your life, which is this. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins have been, given, been forgiven through his shed blood, and you will have entrance into the kingdom of God. Now, that is unbelievable. And so some people, uh, we hear this all the time, they don't feel worthy. And you're not worthy. But Jesus did it anyways. And if you have trusted in Christ, we come to this, to this, uh, this service and, and a few minutes communion, and we just remind ourselves of the gospel again. We are not Christians because we're good and righteous. We're Christians because we're sinners. And we need a sinless substitute to pay the price for our sins. My last so what for you is this. If you have never experienced the forgiveness of God for your sins, I have incredible news for you. It is so close. There, there is this mechanism inside of you um, that will probably say something like, I'm not good enough. What do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How much do I have to give? There are all of these like stipulations that we love to put on ourselves before we think we're going to be acceptable to God. And I've got, I've got great news and weird news. There's literally nothing that you would ever be able to do to make yourself acceptable to God. It's just not humanly possible. It's the most impossible thing you will ever do and you will fail miserably at it every single time. And God knew this. He's not just love, but he's mercy. And so God has made available the substitute sacrifice of Jesus for your sins and your behalf. And here's the great news. This is what true Christians get all throughout history, that those who are, quote, saved or forgiven, they, they weren't saved or forgiven because they were good. They were saved and forgiven because Jesus was good for them, and they got on their face, and they apologized to God, and they, they confessed their belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and God forgave them. That's, all, that's what it comes down to. When I came to Christ, I was young. I've met many of you who've come to Christ as you were older. And, and I didn't come to Jesus and say, I'm a really good guy, save me. That's not how it works. We come to Christ, confessing that we are sinners in desperate need of him, believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins and our place as our substitute. And then on Easter morning, thousands of years, 2,000 years ago, the Father raised him from the dead. We come before him like that, and, and here's the promise of God, anybody who trusts in Christ you will have your sins forgiven and entrance into the kingdom of God is yours. And so here's what we do on Good Friday. This is a communion service. This is a service where we look back and we remember, we reflect on what God has done for us in in Jesus Christ. And there's a few different kinds of people here and I wanna just help you if you're newer to understand how we do um, communion here at Village Church. First of all, it's what we call an open communion. And here's what that means. You may not go to Village Church and that is okay. Anyone 
who has trusted in Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection for their sins. Anybody who has trusted in Christ, no matter where you go to church, I want to invite you, would you partake of communion with us? We are one body in Jesus Christ. Where you go to church at that point doesn't matter. That's first. Second of all, there are a handful of kids who come to our communion services. And uh, here is our ask. Moms and dads, um, your children are more than welcome to partake of communion if, if they have personally trusted in Jesus. Now, we're not going to police this. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I was four years old when I trusted in Christ, and it stuck. Uh, but here, here's the one ask that we make. If your children have trusted in Christ, um, then if you are comfortable, they can partake. Kids, if your mom and dad say not yet, then you just submit and say, love you, mom and dad. You're the best person in the history of the world. I really appreciate you, and I'll submit to whatever you say. I want to talk to those of you who have never trusted in Jesus uh, in your life. You're coming here. You might have been dragged here. And I want to just tell you, I'm so glad you're here. At the very least, you can kind of get your, your head around why Christians had to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Um, but if you are not yet ready to trust in Christ, here's what we want to ask of you. Uh, when these elements come by, um, if you would not partake, just let them keep passing. Uh, nobody will look down on you. Nobody will judge you. And honestly, nobody will probably even pay attention. But here's why we ask you to not partake. Because the Bible says that communion is a declaration, it's a proclamation that we personally, that I, have trusted in Jesus. And if you're not there yet, um, we don't want to put pressure on you to lie in church and there's no reason to be anything other than what and who you are here in this place. Finally, there are those of you who are Christians and um, you've trusted in Christ, but you have this, this syndrome where communion is about to happen and you remind yourself of all of the ridiculously dumb things you've done since the last time you've been here. And you tell yourself, I'm not worthy, I'm not gonna partake. And what I wanna just encourage you with is this. Communion is not for worthy people, it's for sinners who are struggling but have trusted in Jesus Christ. And as you partake of communion, the gospel is declared over you again. You never, ever came to Christ because you were good. You came to Christ because you were a sinner. And this draws you back to that reality. And let the word of God remind you of the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There might be a lot of things you need to repent of. The Holy Spirit might be pressing on your heart for sure. But your relationship with God is secure. And communion is a, a reproclamation over your life that you were saved so I want to encourage you, despite the terrible decisions you might have made, don't not partake of communion because you don't feel worthy. None of us are worthy here this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of just silence. It's a time for you to listen, to talk to God, to confess. Um, when that time is over, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship together. And the ushers are going to hand out elements. And uh, what I want to ask you to do is, uh, while we're singing a song, they'll hand out the elements. And will you just hold on to them until the song is over? I'm going to come back up. I'm going to read some scripture. And then we're going, to go, we're going to partake together as a sign and symbol of our unity in Jesus. So let's have a time of silence.